Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Sharif Michael and Dr. Ryan Palmer of WK Pinnacle Gastroenterology with Willis Knighton Health System. Our topic today is colon cancer awareness and we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. So please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it at the bottom of your screen during the show. Thank you so much for being here, doctors. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Very excited to talk to you about this show. So we're going to start with you, Dr. Michael, and we're going yes. to start with um, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month and the prevalence of this type of cancer. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question. So at present in the United States, colorectal cancer is the third most common type of cancer and the second leading type of cancer-related deaths in the United States. And that's important. So for the average risk person, that holds about a 4% lifetime risk of developing colorectal cancer. And that's the average risk person. We're gonna talk about what average risk actually means. So what does that mean in terms of numbers? Well, just this past year, we saw over 100,000 new cases of colorectal cancer in men and over 40,000 new cases of colorectal cancer in women. That's pretty scary, right? Very. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's really good news that comes with this, okay? The really great news about this is that these cancers are largely preventable, and that's by doing adequate colorectal cancer screening and catching these cancers at an early or precancerous stage. So what have we seen by doing this? Well, we've actually seen that our rates of colorectal cancer in standard and average risk patients has actually decreased dramatically since the 1980s. Why is that? So, several reasons. One, obviously, we're doing more colonoscopies and we're catching these cancers at an early stage, which is the most important reason. We also have better treatments for colorectal cancer when it's actually diagnosed. We also have a decrease in lifestyle-associated risk factors that are associated with colorectal cancers. But all in all, this leads to a really good prognosis when these cancers are caught early. In fact, colorectal cancer, when it is caught early enough, has about a 90% survival rate, rate, and that's fantastic. So that's the importance of colorectal cancer screening. Here's the problem, there's always <laughs> a but. And the but with this is that one in three United States adults, one third of us are not getting appropriate colorectal cancer screening. And that's the importance of this month, which is Colorectal Cancer Awaren- Awareness Month and bringing this topic to the forefront. It is so interesting, and there's so many things that you said in there that I want to ask you about. Yeah. And mostly about, we do hear about this cancer the most, it is so easy to screen for and to find it. Yes. And that you can handle it, like with the colonoscopy, you find a polyp and you take it out right then. It's not like other things where you hear about this test and it's another procedure to remove something. So Dr. Palmer, tell us about screenings and, and the history, the, just the, the natural history of colorectal cancer and the benefits of that finding those polyps. Right. Yeah, absolutely, most, most colon cancers start as, as a, a polyp, and a polyp's just a, a little growth in the colon that over time gets larger and larger, then can develop precancerous changes and then go on to cancer. So when we do screening colonoscopies, our main goal is actually to, to find these polyps and remove them, and thankfully you really can't feel inside the colon, so we can take these out and it's painless. Mm. Um, there's multiple different kinds of polyps. The, the three main polyps are hyperplastic polyps, adenomatous polyps, and then there's polyps called sessile serrated adenomas. Hyperplastic polyps are generally benign, don't turn to cancer. Adenomas are the type of polyps that we worry about turning to cancer. It's usually over about a 10 year period. 
sesalcerated adenomas can turn to cancer much quicker. So the goal is to get all these polyps out during the colonoscopy to prevent somebody from getting colon cancer in the future. Oh gosh. And what about the, the risks, like assessing risks, family history, medical history? Absolutely. So that's a great question. Assessing risk for, for your risk of developing colorectal cancer is actually the first stage in screening. So mm -hmm. that's the most important first step of screening, actually. So we determine your risk based on a couple different things. Now, we brought up average risk before, and that's why I'm glad you brought up this question, because it's a very important distinction. We consider you to be high risk for colorectal cancer uh, if you have a family history of colorectal cancer or precancerous polyps in a first-degree relative diagnosed before the age of 60, or first-degree relatives with colorectal cancer multiple or precancerous polyps, or uh, colorectal cancer syndromes such as Lynch syndromes, which are genetic syndromes, uh, or if you have a history of inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. All mm -hmm. of these put you at higher risk of developing colorectal cancer. And if any of these are true for you, then we would consider you as a patient to be high risk for colorectal cancer. We brought up average risk. So average risk is anybody that has never had colorectal cancer or precancerous polyps or any of those things that we just defined as putting you at high risk for colorectal cancer. And also, sometimes we, we lean on that fact that we don't have any in our family, we're fine. Um, there's also that person, you're an individual person who just may develop it without any other risk at all, which is why it's so important to the screening starting at 45 now instead of 50, right? That's right, absolutely. Just to, to see if we can find it. All That's right. So, Dr. Right. Palmer, let's talk about modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. Well, the modifiable risk factors are probably most important. Um, they're things such as being overweight, smoking, excessive alcohol use, diets high in processed foods. Um, those are the main risks that, that we can do something about to prevent colon cancer. Other risks that are non-modifiable, just like Dr. Michael said, your family history, there's not much you can do about that. Mm -hmm. Things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, um, just when you were born. It's people uh, that were born after 1990 have a higher risk of colon cancer versus people that were born in, during in 1950, uh, we don't why really know. What, we don't really know that, why that is, but wow. my personal belief is it, our diets radically changed in the Definitely. 1980s. There's um, a lot more processed foods, preservatives in foods, mm -hmm. pesticides, herbicides, um, a lot more sugar. Mm -hmm. food. So I think mm -hmm. our, I think it's mainly dietary. Yeah, definitely. Such yeah. a change. That's affected everything that we can really assess that too, I think, right. our whole lifestyle. Uh, so modifiable means, that just like you said, these are the right. things. Non-modifiable is history and things that you can't change. But uh, modifiable would be things to stop smoking, to watch your sugar intake, That's move right. more, all of the typical things. That's more right. water, sure. lots of fiber. Exactly. So there are, there are risk factors that you can take care of. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what about social factors and health equity, Dr. Michael? Yes, that's an important question. We don't really think about this very much, but there are definitely some factors in terms of not only our ethnicity, but our geographic region, our socioeconomic status. All of these play a role in our development of colorectal cancer. And what we've seen is that we've actually seen higher rates of uh, incidence of colorectal cancer and higher mortality rates in certain ethnic groups. For example, Native Americans, 
Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, African Americans, specifically African American males. So we know that ethnicity plays a very large role in development of colorectal cancer and your risk for developing it. Not only that, but geographic region. So where we are in the United States plays a role as well. For example, our very own Mississippi Delta region holds a higher rate of colorectal cancer, and we think that's probably from socioeconomic status. So all of these disparities altogether are attributable to a number of different factors. We talked about socioeconomic status. Other issues are uh, uh, having higher lifestyle-associated risk factors that Dr. Palmer was just discussing. Um, and then also uh, historical social injustices. And then obviously also a lower rate of uh, development or access to screening methods and preventative services altogether. Okay, yeah. very interesting. I'm gonna ask you about something about that too. But we have a caller right now. Sure. Stephen, thank you so much for calling. What's your question? Hey Terry, welcome back on the air again. Nice to see you all. Oh, so thank I, you. Was one of the, I was one of the people who was diagnosed with colon cancer back in December of 20, I was on a 10-year cycle. There was no family history of the disease with intermediate family or my sister. I was diagnosed with stage 3A. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, you all, the two physicians, and I go to the other place on Mabel Street, and I know I'm going to see you laugh knowing where I go to. But anyway, tell me about the people. Because people tell me they go to their local physician, and I deal with a lot of people in our small town. So some of the people that do colonoscopies on these people are part-time surgeons in small towns in northwest Louisiana, which scares me because these people don't do many colonoscopies in the first place. Second place is the plugging of the guard thing on television with the false positive. Is that something that's better than nothing or is that something that people should totally like avoid? Those are great questions. Yeah. Do you want to take? Yeah. yeah. The, there, there's multiple different ways of screening. Um, colonoscopy is the most sensitive. It has advantages of being able to remove polyps, um, but there are also stool tests looking for blood and stool. That's a fit test. There's the Cologuard test, and then there is uh, CT colonography. Now, the Cologuard is better than doing nothing. Some people are not comfortable with having a procedure, will not have a, refuse to have a colonoscopy. So the color guard's better than nothing. But there are false positives, there are false negatives with the test. Um, you have to have the test every three years for screening versus every 10 years for a colonoscopy. And then in terms of your first question, first I'd like to say I'm glad you're doing well. Yes. And um, uh, you asked about who's performing these procedures and why are we as gastroenterologists maybe more qualified to do these procedures? And uh, I'm glad you asked that question. There are people in the community that perform these procedures, uh, whether they're family practitioners or uh, surgeons. Um, but this is something that we train specifically in for years. Yeah. Our training is three years. And in the process of those three years, we do thousands of these procedures. So if you are gonna have a colonoscopy, I would urge you 
to look at your gastroenterologist and obviously get a colonoscopy from a gastroenterologist if you can uh, because this is our area of specialty it's not uh, you know something we do uh, on the side it's what we do every day uh, and we've we do thousands of these and we do uh, hundreds of these in every single month so you want to find a gastroenterologist to do your colonoscopy and you want to find uh, somebody that does a lot of these and um, look into them yeah. And there are metrics you can check on your gastroenterologist, how often they make it all the way around the colon, how what percentage of the time they find adenomas on the colonoscopy, uh, how long their withdrawal time is during the colonoscopy, how, how, how hard they look coming back. All those are important, and the, and, and the hospital's track. Okay, and where do you find that information? If you, I think you just contact them. Just contact them and hospital. find out and ask those questions. So, yeah. so, so, Ryan, a question for you. So should anybody be on a tenure cycle on getting a colonoscopy even if they have no family history now I mean, that's the boat that i that was the boat that i was in and i wish i had not waited that long as one gastro told me nobody should really be a 10 but it was all about money and not enough gastroenterologist gastroenterologist in the country mm. do you agree with that statement well, the, the, the guidelines are for 10 years if there are no polyps you have no family history but 10 years is a very long time uh, and if you have any change in your bowel habits, blood in your stool, abdominal pain, you should definitely go back to your gastroenterologist before then um, and have another colonoscopy. Because 10 years is a long time, things can develop in that, in that period of time. If you have a family history of colon cancer, then it's a five-year cycle. If you have multiple polyps, it'll drop you down to a three to a one-year cycle. So I'm going to ask Terry the question I ask every day because I know she's over 45. I hope I don't offend her. <laughs> oh, Terry, I'm not trying to take over your show today. So when's the last time Terry Simmons had a colonoscopy? You know what? It's been it's been 10 years. I had one 10 years ago. So she's making a so she's making a phone this afternoon, guys. That's right. We're going to give her our office number, and she's, she's going to follow us to the office this afternoon. Thanks for asking, Stephen. You might have right. just saved me. You might have just... No, but, but, no, no, we're bringing, no, they're having the prep kit delivered this afternoon. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for taking good care of me, Stephen. I appreciate that. Bye, Terry. Bye. Bye. Thanks for calling. Glad you're doing well. So, Dr. Palmer, what has the effect of COVID had on colorectal cancer? Is it having an effect and what has it had? It, it has had an effect. Um, when COVID hit, it shut down all screening colonoscopies for a while. Um, about, we had a 90% decrease in the amount of screenings we had. And by June of 2020, we had potentially delayed 18,000 diagnoses. Gosh. Um, and it, we're still seeing people that were supposed to have their colonoscopy back in 2020, and now they're showing up now saying, hey, I missed my, my colonoscopy, I need to get it scheduled. So that's a potential three-year delay when we could have taken out a colon polyp, but now it's a colon cancer. So it definitely had an impact. And what did you see? Did you see an increase in, in any change? Was there anything that was someone you wish they could have come in? I mean, was there anything that happened? Anyone that did go too long or? No, I, I don't think we've seen any, you know, that we could definitely attribute to yeah. COVID that there was right. a cancer that we could have caught, but you never know. You and never there know. still could That's be right. out there It right was now. just a disruptor. It just, right, you know, and was. for those people who really are, you get those people who really want the test, they do it and then they're, they don't get to, That's you know, right. you don't want to lose those. You don't yeah. want anyone to get behind exactly. on anything. That's and worry, do you find there's concern too? Like there was really that sense of panic for people who are, who do stay on regular mammograms and colorectal 
screenings who couldn't go and I'm sure that added to the stress and the illness that happened during COVID and uh, especially with colorectal cancer that's something it's so easy to detect but you got to stay on it that's right so that's yeah right. okay so dr. Michael at yes. what age did you initiate screenings and then at what age is there an age where you don't get screened anymore those are two great <laughs> questions and they bring up probably the biggest change that we've had in colorectal screening in recent history so as we mentioned earlier, our rates of colorectal cancer in standard aged adults and average risk adults has steadily decreased since implementing these colonoscopies. However, our rates of colorectal cancer in young people have actually steadily increased. Yeah. So the American Cancer Society actually did a study. They looked in 2019, they found that 20% of new colorectal cancers in that year were patients less than 55 years old. Wow. Yes. And uh, they actually found that um, in that current time as well, that same group of patients, less than 55, actually had about a 3% annual increase in advanced colorectal cancers. What did that mean in terms of numbers and what does that mean in terms of outlook? Well, they're expecting that in this coming year, in 2023, we would have around 20,000 new cases of colorectal cancer and around 4,000 cases of colorectal cancer associated deaths in patients less than 50 years old. Goodness. That's pretty shocking. Yeah. So that reason and that reason alone is why most of our organizations that help set our standards for screening, uh, including the American Cancer Society, the United States Preventative Services Task Force, the American College of Gastroenterologies, all of these organizations have now recommended that we initiate colorectal cancer screening at 45 years old for an average risk person. Wow. So do we ever start looking before then? Absolutely we do. And that is based on a couple different factors. One, your personal history your family history and whether, whether you're at high risk of developing colorectal cancer and then symptoms. So this is something that we see in our practice all the time. For example, one main symptom that kind of throws up a red flag to us is bleeding, rectal bleeding. And uh, I know Dr. Palmer can attest to this. We have a number of patients that come into our office and say, you know, I've been having some bleeding, but I'm pretty sure and I'm assuming it's from something like hemorrhoids. And if it's one thing that we're not, we are not the assuming type. So if you've ever had any bleeding, even if nine out of 10 times, it may be from something as simple as a hemorrhoid, we don't wanna miss those instances where it could be from a colorectal cancer. So if you ever have any bleeding, you need to see your gastroenterologist. No matter what, no matter no the matter color. What. A lot of times we hear if it's bright red, then it's probably hemorrhoids or a, a, a tear uh, right then, or mm. if it's darker, no, no, but it doesn't matter. Does you not should matter. not be bleeding you from there. Not. At all. not call you that's okay. right exactly yes, no right matter away. what some of the other symptoms so unintentional weight loss uh, persistent abdominal pain a change in your bowel habits which most of us you know it's part of an everyday life we have ups and downs but if you're having significant changes in your bowel habits you should also see a gastroenterologist so these are all symptoms that should kind of raise a flag to you and I think we all as individuals know that something is up we need to see a gastroenterologist for these symptoms. Definitely. So it all, all in all, you know, that's why we start now screening at 45 years old. Well, what does that mean? If you have a family history of colorectal cancer, you should start screening at at least 45 years old or 10 years before the diagnosis of your first degree relative. 
okay, whichever one comes first. Okay. So that's the easy part. Discontinuing colonoscopies was your other question, and I think that's more of a gray area, and uh, that usually gets individualized. That comes from shared decision-making between you and your gastroenterologist. So what goes into the decision? So in, in general, our guidelines say screen to at least 75, and after that point, it becomes individualized, and that's based on several factors your personal history, your family history, whether you're high risk, whether you've had prior colonoscopies or screening or symptoms. And that's when we start to individualize with those patients. We have some patients that at 85 look better than some of our 35 year olds. Yeah, very so energetic, living life. Absolutely. It's a big so, stream. so in these patients, we don't really want to stop colorectal cancer screening because we want to keep you healthy at that stage. Um, but after 75, that's when the discussion takes place. And like I said, it's a shared decision between you and your gastroenterologist. And uh, all of those factors that we discussed play a role. But that's when the discussion takes place. And, you know, your prior caller asked about things like Cologuard. We don't use them very often, but in our practice, and I think Dr. Palmer would agree, that this is one of the times that we actually consider using those tests. Is if we have a patient that's elderly, over 75, not sure if they want to do a colonoscopy, but still wants to continue colorectal cancer screening, we sometimes consider implementing these stool tests, such as the Cologuard. The caveat is, if that Cologuard comes back positive, the next recommendation is doing a colonoscopy. Okay, yeah, and that leads into my next question. We're think, talking about that, and, and Dr. Palmer, how, how is it decided with all of these different tests now that you can do? Even we even saw this morning with Brian had the, the swab on the cheek, on the inside of the cheek where you can test certain things. So there's all kinds of screenings. You do. How do you decide which screening is correct for individuals? That's right, a lot, just like Dr. Michael said, is age and health. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody is older and in poor health, we can always go with stool tests. But they have to be, there's no point of screening if somebody's not healthy enough to have a colonoscopy or have surgery afterwards or, or go through treatment for colon cancer. But in a young, healthy individual, there's multiple options. Like, as I said before, colonoscopy is our, our, the, our best option. So we generally start with that. If, if patients are willing to have a colonoscopy, we'll go that route. Um, the advantages of colonoscopy are that it's a once every 10 year test if there's no polyps. Uh, we get direct visualization of the colon. We can, we, the, it's the best look we can get. We have the advantage of being able to remove the polyps. And so national average, one in 23 men have polyps, one in 25 women, or no, not polyps, sorry, we'll go on to develop colon cancer. Um, as Dr. Michael said, this area, we have a higher incidence. So actually what we're seeing in our practice in this area is over 50% of our patients on their screening colonoscopies are having precancerous polyps, adenomatous polyps. So we try to go the colonoscopy route. Some patients do not, are just not comfortable having the procedure. Uh, they don't want to take the bowel prep before the procedure. So there's other options. There's fit testing, which is an annual test where they, patients send in a stool sample and they check it for blood. And it's pretty specific. It, you don't have to have any dietary restrictions. It only picks up human blood and it's only blood from the lower GI tract, not the stomach. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's sensitive at picking up colon cancer, not necessarily colon polyps. Uh, the next option, as we talked about before, is Cologuard. It's a little more sensitive. It does have some false positives. We will get some positive results, do a colonoscopy, and there's nothing there. But again, it's better than doing nothing. Uh, CT colonography is another option. Uh, it's a test you have every five years. Now, you still have to have a bowel prep for that. 
it's non-sedated um, and you have to have air insufflation for the test. As far as I know in this area, I think the VA hospital is the only place providing that service. Um, but that's, that's the main four options that okay. we use right now. Lots of options. Used to be just colonoscopy, that's it, and, and now it's really, um, it's really changed a lot. So let's talk about that, Dr. Michael. Yeah. Uh, walk us through bowel prep, procedure to recovery. Because I hear it's not, you don't have to drink all of that that used to, right? Is there also a pill that's that right. you can take? That's right. Things have changed. Um, and this is the kind of golden question for everybody that comes <laughs> into our office. Everybody wants to know this. How, d how does this process work? Is it going to be miserable? Is it going to be difficult? And the answer is no. It's gotten much better over time. We used to have a, a bowel prep that was about a gallon in size and that has improved dramatically over the past several years. We now have small volume prep so instead of a gallon it's two little eight ounce bottles uh, with some water. So it's and then to answer your question yes there are also pills that you can take um, that you just drink a lot of water with. So our options for bowel prep have improved dramatically over the past several years and it's not as miserable as it used to be. I can tell you from experience I turned 45 <laughs> this past year I had my first colonoscopy. You did. The only person I trusted to do it was this gentleman <laughs> next to me, Dr. Palmer, and uh, I was most worried about the bowel prep to be honest and it was not as bad as I anticipated. Right. It was actually pretty smooth sailing um, and it wasn't uh, as, as miserable as I thought it was going to be. So the bowel preps have gotten dramatically better in the past couple years. Um, so those are not nothing to be worried about. Um, the procedure itself, another people question people want to know, is this going to be uncomfortable? Is it going to be painful? The answer to that is absolutely not. Best sleep you'll ever have. Best That's nap you'll ever have. Exactly <laughs> right. It's exactly what we tell our patients. <laughs> and um, what happens at, at our GI lab, we have uh, probably the newest uh, endoscopy center in northern Louisiana, Willis Knighton has put uh, a great deal of effort forth to make it a really great experience for patients and uh, for everybody that's involved and family members as well. So you come in that day and the process is the nurses will get you checked in, uh, an anesthesiologist will see you first thing, they get an IV in and through that IV they give you sedation. And with that sedation comes, as you said, the best night nap night. of your life. That's exactly <laughs> right. So you are completely asleep um, and totally comfortable for the entire procedure. You wake up, it's all over. So there is no discomfort at all with these procedures. Um, the recovery time is actually really easy. The procedure in general for most of us takes about a half an hour depending on your colon and number of polyps and size of polyps and things like that. Uh, and then you're in recovery after that. So you let the anesthesia wear off for about a half an hour. You have to have a ride that day because of the anesthesia. We can't allow you to drive for your safety. Um, but you're in recovery for about a half an hour and then you go home, you get something to eat. <laughs> and that's the first thing you're gonna be thinking about. Um, and then the following day, you're back to your normal routine. So it's actually a pretty straightforward process and it's not what people build up in their minds to, to be what it is. It's actually a, a really safe, uh, environment and uh, we pride ourselves in taking really good care of our patients. Yeah, and yeah. just to really to just talk about it yeah. so we don't ask enough questions because the mystery around the bowel prep, you know, all everyone hears is that it's so terrible, so terrible. Yeah. All you're really doing is just cleaning out the bowel, just getting everything cleaned out. It's like a major just laxative, right? You're That's just right. going and you just clean it all out That's to right. make that pathway easy for you to see what's going on in there. So it really is comforting to know that that's what you're doing. You're just getting everything ready because you want it to go well, you want it to go smooth, Absolutely. take it, flush it out, that's exactly take right. care, and you that's feel right. good.
people yeah. get pay good money to get these laxatives <laughs> and we're, we're doing right. it with that. So, but it's probably the most important part of the entire process. And the reason is people think of the colon as just a rigid tube, but in reality, it's moving constantly. It's full of twists and turns and folds. So for us to be able to clean out your colon effectively is really essential because it allows us to see even small polyps that we want to get out precancerous polyps before they have a chance to develop into cancers. Okay, yeah. and really quickly, we only have a minute or so. Um, and Dr. Palmer, where is this done? Where is the procedure done? We do our procedures, just like Dr. Michael said, it's at Willis Knight North, and they've built a brand new endoscopy lab, state-of-the-art. It's a beautiful lab. They have fantastic staff, nurses, as Dr. Michael said. We both had our colonoscopies there, and we trust them. Our families go there. Um, That's right. It's, there's five rooms. 14 recovery bays, uh, all new equipment. Should be getting brand new scopes mm -hmm. by the end of this month. So it's Willis Knight's put a great deal of um, effort into providing like a good experience. Right, experience and like you said, very good hands. You do this all the time. All very the time, comfortable day, place to do it, procedure, everything. That's so, right. all right, and would you like to give a phone number out real quick before we say goodbye? Do you know what it is? Do you have the phone number? That's all right. We'll call <laughs> you WK Pinnacle. That's right. <laughs> we'll find you. That's, Don't worry. That's right. And, but, but they can call you directly, though. They, they don't need to be directly. referred. Pinnacle that's the point. Okay. Absolutely. Sounds really good. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been a fascinating discussion. Is there anything that you'd like us to know to close with? Y'all to remember about this discussion today? Well, no, I think, you know, we appreciate you having us here and bringing this topic to the forefront. It's so important for our community to know, uh, you know, what's going on with colorectal cancer and what we can do to fight it. And there is something we can definitely do, which is get your colonoscopy and come see us. All right, yeah, Dr. Just, Palmer, anything you'd like to say? We just hope that, you know, people will listen and we can, we can help some people out, prevent them from having cancer and having to suffer down that road. Well, it's a great service that you're doing, especially today being with us. And I certainly, we all here at KTBS and all of our viewers, Stephen in particular, <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking the time to explain all this to us and, and to take some of the mystery and the fear out of it because, like you said, it is very easy to screen for it and just save a life so quickly to find that. That's right. And so we appreciate all that you do, and thank you for being here. That's our pleasure. Thank you for having us. All right, yes. and thank you, everyone, for watching Healthline 3 today. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time right here at KTBS and KPXJ.